Blog Talk Radio. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. 11.55. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story before 12. You're gonna die up there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard News Confidential presented by HardNews.net and the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. Today we have episode number four. We'll be talking to the one and the only Mr. Lobo as well as Andy Gates. Uh, It's going to be a very exciting uh, hour and a half to two hours of horror movie talk and conversation. Uh, we got lots of cool stuff. Um, we're going to be going over Mr. Lobo's channel, Outer Space International. Uh, we're going to be seeing what Andy Gates is up to. Uh, and then later on, we're going to be talking about uh, a top ten list of remakes. So some pretty cool stuff. Red Rob! Red Rob! Red Rob! Red Rob! Red Rob! Red Rock! Red Rock! Red Rock! Jenny, what's the matter, hon? Red Rock! You having a bad dream? Daddy? Gentlemen, haha, Andy Gates, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. I that's one of my favorite all-time movies, and I know it's been oh, sort of remade, or I don't know. If, I don't know if you'd call it a remake if it, the existing material was a book, and then it got turned into a movie, and then it was turned into what was it, a TV movie or a TV show? I believe it was like a TV movie, if I am. If I remember correctly, and um, who who played um, Jack Torrance? Wasn't it one of the uh, guys from that TV show Wing? Uh, am I right about that? Yeah, I think you are. Um, uh, Stephen Stephen something. Yeah, I don't know his name, but um, yeah, I, you and know, I, oh, I, Stephen Stephen Weber, Stephen Weber, Stephen Weber. I'm saying that, that right. That sounds. That sounds about right. You know, I kind of half-heartedly watched it. Um, I don't even remember too much about it, uh, but I know it was there. I know they did it, but, um, I mean, nothing's going to ever compare to, you know, Jack, you know, The Shining. Come on. Yeah, apparently they called him John Torrance in the in the nineteen ninety seven version, which is now twenty years old. And they, I, I heard from someone. I don't. I mean, not obviously from Stephen King, but I did hear from someone that Stephen King actually preferred this this nineteen ninety seven version a lot more. Uh, there are there's like literally there's shining historians that will, you know, talk your ear off about all the subliminal stuff that 
may or may not be involved in that movie. There was that documentary about The Shining. I mean, it's it really hit some sort uh, of. Oh yeah, I mean, people can really get in depth about it uh, and really dive into the nuances of of The Shining and you know the book versus the um, the movie and you know everything about it really. Yeah, and I have to be—I have to admit—I'm not the world's best reader, and my my poor brother—he's like a, a pretty well-known writer, and he—he, he, you know, he reads for a living. Like he reads books, he reads a lot of books. He reads—he writes about reading and all this kind of stuff. And I'm—I'm uh, I'm a movie guy. I watch movies. I watch a lot of movies. I read scripts too, and I do write scripts. But I—I'm not a—I'm not—I'm not against reading. I just don't do it as much because there's so much to watch. I don't know. I, I read scripts, I guess I would say it's a very LA thing to say. Yeah, no, I mean, I get that, you know, because, uh, quite honestly, I'm not a real, I'm not a book reader myself. Um, and I wouldn't mind, you know, I've read a couple scripts. I'm sure not like you, but you know, um, but I'm a movie guy. I, you know, I like to sit, I watch the movie, um, write the review, read the review. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah, you write, you read. It's just, a, it's a different, you know, it's like a, I guess it's the, the, the novel form. I, I don't know. There's the, I have a great deal of respect so, for writers. Yeah, you know, me too, man. I mean, I mean, if it wasn't for the writer, if it wasn't for the guy, you know, penning the script, I mean, you wouldn't have, you know, the magic that happens on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. It's a collaborative, it's a collaborative thing. Um, so Andy, I, I so how, how, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you know, I was just going to throw it at you to see exactly what you have been up to lately. And maybe um, if you wanted to mention any projects coming up. Yeah. Thank you so much. Actually. Um, and I'm not saying this just because we're talking today, but literally today, a couple of hours ago, my writing partner on this project and I finished the first draft of a of a, a feature film horror script uh, called The Form, and uh, uh, we're really excited about it. And uh, we hope to be, you know, involved in, in making it. Um, uh, we all, we all know how hard that is to make an independent feature movie of any of any genre, but uh, but The Form is something I've been working on a lot. I I kind of started the idea. Did you ever see that documentary called The Nightmare about sleep terror and sleep paralysis? You know, the subject matter fascinates me, but no, I have not seen that. Yeah, it's obviously been covered in like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and some other – I think there's a movie coming out like right about now called uh, Dead Awake or something. So it's been, it's definitely been covered, and I, I saw this. I highly recommend it actually. Speaking of The Shining, it was uh, – the the documentary uh, again called the nightmare was directed by the same team that did the uh, room two thirty seven I think the documentary about the shining. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like most people, I've I've had nightmares before, and I've always been fascinated with with sleep paralysis and sleep terror, and I kind of did more research into it, and you know learned about the succubus, the incubus, th- those kind of mythologies about um, visitations in the night. Um, and and my my taste in horror kind of goes in that direction towards the the creepy the dread I I don't I mean I I, I 
have been involved in projects where it's kind of gory and a blood fest and that that's fun to do. Um, it just, when it comes to my preference in horror, um, I tend to like, I tend to veer towards the paranormal and to things that are like truly deeply disturbing psychologically, um, you know, like the shining. Um, so, uh, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I, I, um, the nightmare really affected me and I thought, you know, wow. Cause some of these stories of these, of these real people that are being profiled in the nightmare, they're just, you're just thinking, how can somebody live like this? Like when, I mean, these are like extreme cases, extreme stories of people that really are, are, are being hassled by, by whatever, whatever this is uh, affecting them. And so I, I thought it would make a fascinating story. And I, I, I kind of built the story around a guy who, who really is trying to figure out what this this creature is he calls it a form because all he really sees of it is this like dark shadowy form that enters his room every night and um so it's kind of like a, a, a sleep terror story but it's also like a mystery uh finding out what you know what, what this thing is and he goes to great lengths to try to um get to the bottom of it so to speak so right really yeah. i mean I'm kind of at yeah. the edge of my seat right now. Um, you, you just telling me about it, man. I mean, it sounds pretty <laughs> cool. It, um, it's like sleep terror, like you know, sleep paralysis. Um, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that, like, I don't know. It's it's really terrifying. Um, you know, I mean, different people have different levels of like what they're afraid of. You know, some people. You know, um, it's all about drowning. And then some people, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's about maybe they're afraid of heights. Um, but the the whole, like, things that happen when you sleep, I mean, not that anything's ever happened to me, but it kind of does hit a nerve. Like, you know, that would be something that would frighten me, you know. So it, if it frightens me, it, it interests me. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I guess that's that's why we're drawn to this um, this culture of of, of horror and, and being scared. I, I kind of like to I like to tell people that I'm sort of a uh, like an addict for for um, for scares. Like I, I look I look for it and I, I kind of enjoy the search um, for for something for a movie that that really truly frightens me. And um, I, I think of myself as someone who's kind of difficult to scare. I mean, in real life, like all kinds of things scare me. You know, I have a, I have a three-year-old daughter. Like that, that's uh, lots of things scare me about. Like, is, is she okay? Is she gonna be okay? You know, you know, like there's there's real life things. But when it comes to escapism and and watching movies, which we love to do, and 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 be involved in them and the making of them, yeah. I mean, I, I try to push myself to like make the the the, the scariest possible thing that I would find. Uh, deeply, deeply frightening, um, and I look for it as well in other other works. Other yeah, I mean, I have a ten-year-old and I have a one-year-old, so I mean, like you know, boom, like reality, you know. I mean, this is a scary time right now, so you know, you're afraid yeah. of the real things that are out there. But yeah, as far as like the whole world of cinema and escapism, you know. You know, I'm I'm kind of drawn to, you know, let me just get away from reality. Let me see something on the screen that terrifies me. You know, that's what I'm I'm thriving for. You know, that's what I really want. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's nuanced, isn't it? I mean, everybody has different things that, just like with a comedy or with any other sort of genre of, of film or television or any kind of 
entertainment. I mean, everybody has their thing. Like we all like different types of music. So there's going to be different things that, that tap into your fear. Some, some people are like, well, I have a kid. So if it's something like it, which is coming out this year or something that like stranger things that involves children going missing, like that's somebody's worst fear. It's like, I can watch that. And I like stranger things, but it's sort of like, and I, and I do have a child, and it would, for her to go missing would be awful. But it didn't it didn't strike that nerve with me for whatever reason. Um, but I did find it right. incredibly entertaining. So it's sort of there. I don't know. There's there's a there's a dread for me that taps into the 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 nightmare like that when you're all alone in, in a nightmare. But you know, we all have different nightmares. So. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, absolutely. You know, and you just mentioned, um, you know, it. Uh, which is, you know, the remake that's, you know, I just watched the trailer not too long ago, and uh, I got to tell mm-hmm. you, I mean, it looks like it's going to be fantastic. Um, I mean, I like the original, the 80s version, but uh, this remake is going to be off the hook. Yeah, it looks it. It looks it. Looks it. I mean, I, I really, the, the I guess the director did Mama, which was, which I thought was a, a really pretty well done movie. Also pretty, pretty frightening. Some of the imagery in Mama. Um, so, uh, you know, some, some, some directors to me, I, I kind of seek them out because it's like, okay, this person for me has got a, a really good grip on, on, on some sort of terrifying undertones. And they have a, they, to me, they have a, a, a good grip on, on a, how to make a good looking sort of movie. Like there's certain things that stand out to me about, you know, directors that I follow and look for and, you know, James Wan comes to mind right. with like his, his stuff with the insidious. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's an exciting he's time. Gotta be like, yeah. I mean, as far as like horror movies, I mean, he's got to be the hot property right now, but um, I mean, who, who else do you look for as far as like a director goes that, um, you know, you follow and you like at their films? Um, there's a director um, going back to like, um, you know, I think William Friedkin, when he made The Exorcist, he had this style about The Exorcist um, that he he didn't he wasn't aiming really to make a horror movie. Apparently, it was more of like a, a documentary style. So I like I like movies that don't really um, shove the scares in your face, like the scares like um, what's his name Ty? What do you, is, is it Ty West? A lot of horror fans would know him. He did uh, House of the Devil, I think, and um, The okay. Innkeepers. Um, he did a Western pretty recently, which is good. I think he's really talented and gifted as a filmmaker. And he, to me, has a pretty, pretty great handle on, um, on, uh, on what's scary and, and how to, how to kind of present it, you know, and, and with, with the, with the innkeepers, even though it had, it had a lot of comedy, um, as I remember it. And, but it was also a, a well-told story that had some genuine scares. Uh, and it was just, it focused more on a lot of the the meat and potatoes of of a of a narrative story, and and it was inherently a scary story. So I, I think he just kind of seemed to trust the process that it would be scary when it needed to be, but it would also be a fully formed movie. Um, I don't know. I find that as right. the more I get into making movies, it's like there, there's people that make them for certain reasons, and that isn't good or bad. It's just sort of like certain people just want to want to be involved in, in extreme sorts of horror that involve like decapitations or, or extreme gore or, bo- or body parts flying around a uh, lot tons of nudity and that's and like, like I said it's neither good nor bad I, I just don't 
I don't really gravitate to that stuff in terms of what I like to watch. Would I would I do it as an actor? There's not really much I really wouldn't do. I mean, it would take it would take something that I would look at and be like, ah, I have to live with this, and you know what I mean. Like you know, we talk about Bill Bill Oberst and how great he is and how how much stuff he's done. And oh yeah, you know, he's the one. He's I look up to him great a great deal as as an actor and someone who promotes himself in a, in a really genuine way while still being humble, but, but he has this body of work and you're just like, <clears throat> how do you do it? He's, you know, he, he'll be the first to be like, Oh, you know, don't, don't see this. Don't see that. I mean, he, he promotes his movies, uh, but I, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I get the sense that he really just, he lives for the work and I, I can relate to that uh, to a degree. You know, he, I'm sure we have a sense of pride about everything we've done, even though some things are like, well, this isn't, this isn't something I would show everybody, but you know, I did it and it was work and it was, there's something to be learned from it. Um, so, Oh yeah. I mean, as far as Bill goes, I mean, he's a fantastic actor and I mean, you can't not respect him and the work that he's done. Um, you know, and, and it's just fun to follow him and, you know, it's always fun to, you know, um, through horrornews.net, you know, put articles up about, you know, what he's doing. Um, you know, it's uh, he's just one of those guys that uh, makes the horror genre um, fun. Yeah, I know he really is. He really is. I, I would, uh, I would, I would love to act with him. You know, every single, you know, project. Like I just, he's just one of those guys. He's he's always out doing something, whether he's on the East Coast or in the Midwest or you know out here in LA. He just. He's always out doing something, and I think a lot of it is sort of self-generated by um, just, just by what a great guy he is, what a, what a genuinely good person he is. It's and, a manhouse! A manhouse! <laughs> I can't name that clip. Uh, that was um, Planet of the Apes. Okay, okay. <laughs> but listen... Um, you know, the horror genre, you know, spawns lots of, of different characters and actors and everything. What do you feel about horror hosts? You know, those those guys that uh, late nights on Saturday night, you know, you're watching the movie and, you know, they do the introduction. You know, that's, that's always been, you know, a fun part of the horror movie genre. You know, I, I grew up on horror hosts in the 80s uh, and... You know, it's um, know, it's just part of the business. Well, didn't, didn't, that you don't Vincent Price, didn't Vincent Price do a little bit of that at the end of his career or later in his career? Um, Vincent you know, Price do a little sure. horror hosting. Okay. But you know what? We have a Mr. Lobo uh, that's going to be joining us, um, and uh, this guy is uh, late night host extraordinaire. Uh, so let's bring him on the line, and then you know. Uh, start a conversation about uh, horror hosting and, uh, you know, maybe uh, Mr. Lobo can answer the uh, Vincent Price question there. Yeah, that's great. Hey, Mr. Lobo, are you, uh, are you there? Greetings. I'm here. I uh, think I'm, uh-huh. I'm mostly in one piece. Thank you for having me on the program. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to uh, Andy Gates, actor extraordinaire. Um, he's on with us right now, and uh, Andy, uh, this is Greetings, Mr. Lobo. Andy. Greetings to you as well, and yeah, thanks again, Michael, for uh, 
for having us on. Yeah, Vincent Price. Vincent Price is. We were talking about as a horror host. Is that is that was that was that a question? I guess about. Uh, yeah, more of a question because I don't know a lot about horror hosts, but I remember I, when I was growing up, I, I thought that he did host some some sort of stuff that I saw on TV. Well, he did. A, he definitely hosted the the program Mystery, and he did that in a, in a horror host sort of style. Um, and then, uh, and he's he's probably been tapped as a horror host in anthologies and movies. I think uh, in Whisper to a Scream, and I think there's a. Or, I think that's the name of that movie. I think there's a couple of, of, of times where he's been tapped in that role. I don't know if he ever did it for television, which is which is primarily, not always, but primarily when people think of horror hosts, they think of um, of television horror hosts. Um, uh, you know, it, it, as a form in its most general terms kind of started in the 50s when um, when basically the universal um package came to television and and uh, okay. movies like movies like uh King Kong and uh you know son of um Frankenstein came to television for the first time and they would have kind of a spooky presenter um that would uh, that would present these movies uh on television and that became sort of a tradition and then uh, echoed uh, through through the UHF, uh, VHF, then UHF, then cable. Uh, in the eighties, probably the person to ever to do it the biggest would have been Elvira. Um, sure, sure. Who, and uh, you know, Elvira uh, sort of was doing sort of a campy nod to the uh, Dragon Lady archetype, like Vampira, who was from the fifties, uh, but still have putting her own spin on it. And you know, and again, trying to. Uh, present these movies now by the 80s it wasn't the universal classics that were hitting television it were it was the it was the real b movies so by then it was almost a, a different uh your job as a horror host was more to not to add to the atmosphere but to be hamburger helper uh and so you got a lot <laughs> of jokes about the movies and uh, kind of creating the in a way kind of creating the mystery science theater ethic of so bad it's good and um you know to sort of um make playful jabs at the movie to sort of keep you with the movie instead of maybe turning off the movie was it like was it did crypty do that from tales from the crypt yeah i i would i would call the crypt keeper a, a horror host certainly yeah for sure okay yeah that's that's I'm about the extent of my knowledge of horror hosts yeah. Well, I I remember. I mean, I guess my earliest memories were um, back in the uh, Philadelphia market, which is you know where I grew up, uh, and watching Doctor Shock. Um, you know, he was um, you know he was always amazing with his magic and you know bringing his daughter on the show and everything. And um, yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. Like the earliest memories of um, you know horror hosts on TV. Dr. Shock was uh, a legend. I mean, even in California, you know, we heard of Dr. Shock, and, and Dr. Shock was carrying on Zachary's shtick. Uh, Zachary was originally did a character called Roland in the Philadelphia area, and uh, basically he was he he worked at the television station 
as a um, they had a soap opera, a daily Western soap opera in which he was the funny undertaker and he would measure people who were going to get shot in the gunfight or whatever. And he would do little funny shtick as the undertaker. And when these um, moldy horror movies came to television, he was tasked with the since the undertaker character was so popular. Uh, John Zacherly did this Roland Undertaker character um, with a sort of dark, sullen cheeks and the hair parted in the middle and the funny kind of 1800s suit. And then when he moved on to New York, because he was so popular, he got picked up in New York. Um, You know, he was a staple locally in Philly. And then Dr. Shock had asked for permission to kind of continue Zachary's act a little bit locally. So uh, Zachary has, I mean, Dr. Shock has the same hair as Zachary. He's got the same sullen cheeks. He's got the same suit. But what he brought to it was uh, he brought a lot of showmanship because he had, he had magic tricks and things that he, to his own character, that was much different than what Zachary did. So, you know, but he definitely, both of them are probably too well known as two of the greatest horror hosts ever to come out of anywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, uh, Zachary, I, I believe I, I met him a few times at the uh, the Chiller um, convention up in uh, North Jersey. Uh, really great guy. He's marvelous. I mean, you know, so generous with his time. I got roasted by him, uh, Horror Hound, uh, for my 10-year anniversary of uh, Cinema Insomnia. And, um, you know, when I was on Coast to Coast AM the first time, I got a phantom call from the Zachary camp and just saying how much that he appreciated that uh, that I was keeping this sort of thing alive, which, you know, it always <laughs> you always say, oh, you're keeping it alive. Like it's something heroic, like you've got cancer or something. No, I'm, I, you know, it's like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I enjoy it and because it's meaningful to me. You know, I mean, if, you know, I, it, it, with a lot of people, it never dies. And with some people, they've never had it, you know, and, and if I can bring it to someone uh, who's never had a horror host, then that's certainly a victory. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, you have to do things for yourself, you know, not because you're trying to, you know, it's not like PBS where you're trying to keep jazz alive, you know, it's like, you know, right. at a certain point, it has to be vital on its own terms, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I try to do something that's viable and vital on its own terms, I, I don't try to think, what well, I've got the the weight of the whole genre on my back, and I'm going to try and keep it alive, you know. Well, you're doing something pretty incredible with, um, I guess it's been about a year now, maybe over a year, but, uh, you know, you started uh, OSI 74, uh, Outer Space International, uh, which is this whole channel um, with uh, late night hosts. And why don't you tell us a little bit about it and and where it's, you know, going? Sure. Um, Yeah. Um, You know, uh, basically... As it stands, it is a streaming channel primarily for Roku. Um, You know, I was with a horror channel um, a few years back, and uh, we were really enjoying um, really a lot of success with it. You know, I mean, um, we were doing hosted horror films, but we were also uh, doing original shows and all sorts of things. And when that that came to an end in a really weird way, it wasn't it didn't come to an end because it was a failure. It came to an end because it was a success. Someone bought the company and. And then 
it was just sort of shut down unceremoniously, and it, and it left us feeling that we had a lot more to do, my wife and I primarily. And so we decided, well, if we got if we're gonna, if we want to keep going, and we still want to do a channel, let's do our own channel. And if we can just, if we can be, if it can be anything we want it to be, what would we want it to be? Would it just be a horror channel? And and I kind of felt like it would, it would be neat to sort of not limit it to just horror. And that, you know, as a kid, I always grew up, there was always the weird station, you know, the station that had the horror host also had the cartoon host. It also had, um, the weird, um, you know, kind of, uh, in search of type mystery shows, or maybe they had the late night music video shows or the dance party shows, um, or the, um, you know, just stuff that the played late at night, the night flight kind of stuff, you know, right. and so I, I kind of didn't want to, I, I thought, you know, there's always sort of the weird channel, you know, and I didn't want to call it the weird channel, you know, that's a little <laughs> too on the nose. So I, I, I sort of tried to imagine like a UHF station from an alternate universe. And um, that's sort of uh, where OSI 74 came from. And um, I did a logo that seemed very much like a 1970s um, TV station logo um, and or early cable channel from the 80s logo. Um, and um, I started kind of reaching out to a lot of my filmmaker friends, a lot of my other uh, TV producer friends, and quite frankly, a lot of people who kind of been steered the wrong way or have had bad distribution. And, you know, with a lot of, with a lot of them, it was a situation. So I really liked your show. You know, I think I can market your show, you know? And um, so it's a lot of really unusual stuff. And um, right now, um, you know, cinema insomnia, which is my show is on there, but there are a lot of other horror hosts. We have, uh, um, you know, Carlos Borloff, who does a show called Monster Madhouse, where they also show a movie. We have Gula Gogo, where they don't show a movie at all, but they're like uh, a, a vampire, a hunchback, and an invisible man who run a dance party show, like an American bandstand for toddlers. And and um, and there's sort of um, other, you know, we have a cartoon um, lineup, Saturday morning cartoon lineup. And we have mysteries and conspiracy uh, type uh, documentaries, and we have, um, you know, uh, original, uh, you know, shows. Uh, we have a show from England called Pantry Manor, where it's uh, a soap opera with a bunch of drag queens. You know, it's a lot of really weird stuff, and it's all kind of uh, in one place, and we're able to kind of cross promote and um, kind of build an audience of people who are looking for stuff that just really isn't anywhere else. Oh yeah, I mean it's a it's a great place for the um, obscure, strange, uh, you know, kind of entertainment, um, you know. And Andy, I, I don't know if you um, have heard about it yet, but um, I mean, I would definitely check it out. The website's osi74.com, right, um, Mr. Lobo? That's right, osi74.com. Awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's, interesting. It's not- you mentioned that you were on Coast to Coast AM. Is that with? The old Art Bell station, or uh, it, it, I wasn't on when Art Bell was on. I was, I was, I would have loved to have been on when when Art Bell. I mean, I listened to it frequently when Art Bell was the host. Um, but I, um, I, I've been on maybe five times, five or six times 
with George Norrie, who is the current host. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of follow him on Twitter. Um, I don't listen every night. It's kind of one of those things that I love to catch when I'm driving somewhere, you know, long distance, you know, catch the show. Same here. Yeah, driving like at 2 in the morning, and you could hardly see two feet in front of your car, and <laughs> some wackos is coming on talking about the end of the world. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I love the horror genre, but I mean, like, you know, on a side note, I mean, there's nothing better than, you know, hearing about, um, you know, everything from UFO sightings to, you know, people that like, you know, search for Bigfoot to, um, you know, the Loch Ness Monster to, uh, you know, real life exorcisms to, you know, and like any of all that real, you know, paranormal, supernatural kind of thing, you know, and, and you get a good, um, a good fix of that, you know, listening to, um, you know, George Norrie. Yeah, it's great because I feel like they, they do it in such a way to where, you know, the other shoe never drops. So you, you never really know 100% certainty whether the person they're talking to is just a certified wacko or if they're really, really something to it. And, and uh, that's, a, that's a hard line to sort of trend, to sort of do a show like that and, um, you know, try to and, – and to sustain that mystery – uh, on those topics and try to preserve what makes those things fascinating without, um, without either making it too ridiculous or popping it like a balloon or, um, you know, uh, not quite, you know, making it work. You know, it's, there's definitely an art to it. Yeah. yeah so I know a lot of George Norrie, uh, like a lot of old catalog uh, shows from, I don't even know when, because there some of them were Art Bell. I found them on YouTube when I was researching mm-hmm. this, this script that I, I uh, just, just mentioned, uh, Michael, uh, the, the form. There was a lot of great, like sleep terror uh, episodes. I think they called it the shadow people, the, the shadow people. So there was a lot of episodes, uh, mo- mainly through Art Bell, um, from God knows when, but uh, very helpful, helpful indeed. When did Art Bell stop? Do you do you know? I don't know. He he can't. There was he went on and off uh, for a while there. There was some sort of weird thing where he he felt his family was threatened or something. I think that happened in the in yeah, the ninety somewhere. Or, and I think then, his health uh, was failing too. His health might have been yeah, a little, you know. And again, you know, that's the funny thing about Art Bell is you never really know. It's like, is any of that even really happening? You know, <laughs> is this just is this just an interesting way to get him off the show? Or you know, I mean, at least at least me. I mean, maybe my maybe I have too much skepticism. But it's just like I I never really I never really know when when the show stops and when it starts and, and, and how much you can believe of anything said on that show. But, um, uh, but yeah, it, it, he, he did disappear for a while. And boy, I wish my friend Olav was here. Uh, who's a conspiracy expert. He's probably listening right now going, don't you know that he resigned in this time and then came back for a while and resigned <laughs> at this other time. But uh, it does seem like it's all a blur. I know it's been George Norrie for a good long time though. I would say 10 years or more. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's been about ten years. It's got to be. Um, and uh, and George Nor and it was Whitley Strieber, right, for a little while. 
wasn't it between George Nor between between uh, Art Bell and George Norrie? Did Whitley Strieber just sit in for Art Bell when Art Bell would go on vacation? I don't know, but Whitley uh, Strieber, yeah. who wrote uh, he wrote uh, a communion. Right, okay. right. Yeah, I, another, I don't know. Another, I didn't catch uh, any. I didn't catch okay. any of his episodes when he did it, so I mean, I can't really comment on that. Um, yeah. But um, all right, guys, um, uncomfortable silence right now. <laughs> well, you never, you never know, like when you're about to talk over someone. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? <laughs> there we go, Samuel L. Jackson. There to remind us what's real. Exactly. That's right. All right. So, um, um, in a little bit. Yes. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, we we should probably bring it back around to to horror movies somehow. Well, you know what I'd like to talk about um, coming up sure. is uh, we compiled a little bit of a. Um, a list, a top ten list of uh, uh, horror movies that we kind of think should be remade. Um, and, okay. You know, gonna gonna run down that list and you know maybe get some uh, opinions or suggestions on uh, you know what can be added to that list or, or uh, you know maybe you guys that sounds, can chime that in. That sounds fun. All right. Uh, so what I'm gonna do right now is we have this little uh, thing where you know we have to. Uh, you know, bow down to a couple sponsors that we have. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, play a couple commercials, and then, you know, we'll be back in, in a few moments to, uh, you know, dive into that. Sounds great. Sounds good. Yeah, very well. Very well. <laughs> All right. So uh, just bear with me a second here, and, and we'll get this going.
Attention business owners, website owners, event promoters, or anyone looking to promote your product. The Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network is the perfect way to spread the word of your business around the world. That's right, you can advertise at our network and be played on all of our shows at rates that are so cheap, it's a no-brainer. For more information, contact Bay Ragney at bayragney at gmail.com. To keep your business driven, stay driven with Totally Driven Entertainment. Are you a fan of Sherlock Holmes? Letters from Holmes offers unique, one-of-a-kind letters from the world-famous detective himself. Handwritten on 8.5-inch by 11-inch aged parchment paper and using smudge-free ink to produce original, high-quality letters that fans will treasure for years to come. Each letter is handcrafted and written from the perspective of Sherlock Holmes, mimicking Holmes's native tongue and embracing many of the famous detective's quirks, quips, insults and peculiarities. Order a love letter, birthday greeting, personal correspondence or more only at www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash letters from homes. For $5 today, you can buy a wealth of things. Gas for your car, rent a movie for the family, a few slices of pizza. $5 still takes you a long ways. But did you know that $5 can buy your child a bag of heroin in the streets? That's right. For only $5, your son or daughter can buy some of the cheapest and purest dope in the country. Be aware of the lies. Be aware of the stealing. Be aware that's all it takes to kill your child. $5. This message was brought to you by Casey's Cause, a group of parents located in southern Chester County out to save your child's life. Come join us today at www.caseyscause.com. And remember, $5 is all it takes. Casey's Cause, www.caseyscause.com. Looking for that perfect gift for your girlfriend? Then look no further than Teddy Scares. Teddy Scares are available in a variety of styles, sizes, and prices for all your shopping needs. Teddy Scares are a mix of cute and creepy to make a great gift for almost any age. Board up your windows, lock your doors, and log on to teddyscares.com. And be sure to become our friends at facebook.com slash teddyscares. Calling all comic book fans. Do you collect comics? Did you ever collect comics? Do you think your children might like reading comic books? Do you even know they still print real, paper, non-digital comic books? Well, then visit the Pirates of Ontario Street Comics in Philadelphia. We have a massive collection of comic books, action figures, trading cards, and much more. We have one of the largest stocks of back-issue comics in the area. We bag and board every new comic book at no extra charge. Our store is voted the best comic book shop in the 2013 PHL 17 Hot List Contest. Part of the movie Unbreakable is filmed in our store. We are open seven days a week. Ontario Street Comics is located at 2235 East Ontario Street in the Port Richmond section of Philly. Our phone number is 215-288-7338. Type in the words Ontario Comics Philadelphia to check out our Wacky Stores page on Facebook. Okay, welcome back to Hard News Confidential. And uh, we have Mr. Lobo and Andy Gates with us. Uh, and uh, Mr. Lobo, actually, you know what? I wanted to mention something before we go any further. Um, sure. So I got this email the other day um, from the El Rain Network, which uh, just happens to be one of my favorite channels. They have lots of cool stuff on there. And uh, as yeah, part of uh, the survey was about, um, you know, who should a late-night host be for their network? 
and it gave a bunch of options. Uh, I'll read off the options. Uh, okay. Tobin Bell, Elvira. Oh, wow. Okay. Mystery Science, the Mystery Science Theater Gang. Okay. Count, Count Floyd. <laughs> Mo- wow, that would be great. Melissa. Melissa Santos, uh-huh. Rob Zombie, okay, da- Danielle Harris, Daniel Harris, okay, and Mr. Lobo. Are so, you uh, kidding me? I made the list. So, Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I'll, I'm telling you this. I got an email. It was on a survey. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight choices to choose from. Uh, and basically, hey, you, you got know, my you, vote. That's a great list. Yeah, you, you click. Wow, you incredible. click on there. So I mean, it's it's an interesting list. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, you have everyone from like you know. Um, you know, Rob Zombie's in there. You got the Mystery Science uh, Theater gang. You know, you got like wow. Tobin Bell from Saw. Um, A lot of good you know, friends so, in there too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but uh, did you? Um, how did that? I mean, do you know how that came about? Did you know you were on this list that they were putting I did out? Not- no, no, I did not know I was on that list. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I was up against uh, Rob Zombie before when TCM was doing their thing. Um, yeah, I don't know if you remember that Turner Classic Movies had their underground show where they had Rob yeah. Zombie host for a little while. Uh, yeah. And I remember I, I, remember I remember I got a phantom call from some boardroom in Atlanta or whatever, and they said – yeah, you know, your name is getting thrown around all over the place for this this Turner thing, and I'm like, uh, I don't think that's going to happen, and it didn't happen. It ended up being Rob Zombie, but it was interesting that I was even being talked about. You know, sometimes you don't know, you don't know who's watching you when you do something, you know, and and they don't tell you. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know how they came up with this list or, or anything, and I don't know if, you know. Um, if they just pulled it out of thin air or if like, you know, some of these people would even be willing to do that for L Ray network. Um, but it is what it is. Well, the yeah. mystery, the mystery science theater guys are pretty well tied up with, uh, Netflix comedy central and shout factory. It would probably, it would take a lot of legal finagling to get them on anything else. I think at this point, um, after this uh, successful relaunch that they've had. So it might yeah. just be, a list of people, you know, it's a fantasy football situation. It's like if you could have anybody host on the channel or, or maybe it's based on um, people that have been suggested, you know, I don't know. I, I like I said, a total speculation. I, they never, I never talked to anybody. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of when Mr. Lobo was parodied on Scooby-Doo, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we didn't. I didn't know anything about it. Just somebody from Cartoon Network said, "Hey, are you watching the new Scooby Doo?" I'm like, uh, "No." And they're like, "You probably should, because this guy kind of looks like you." I'm like, "All right." And then Professor Ruffalo <laughs> in episode one of Mysteries Incorporated gets unmasked as the Sly Monster, and it kind of looks like Mr. Lobo, you know. So, you know, um, I don't know why. How did that come about? I have no idea. Other than there's a lot of arcane horror references throughout that whole season of that show, so. You know, I, but it, it is. I mean, it's 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 it's. Not, I'd prefer money, but you know, 
it, it, it's nice to be acknowledged in that way. Yeah, I, I I just had to mention it, you know, it was like on my mind, and it was like, you know, I you know I I got to bring this up. Um, so that's exciting. You know, maybe cool. it's something I should talk to. I, I should say, hey, uh, hey, hey, cinema insomniacs, if you're if this mm-hmm. survey comes your way, don't don't forget don't forget your old pal, Mr. Lobo. Give him a vote. That's right. Like, I'd love to talk to those guys. I mean, I have no idea. Um, you know, I mean, that was something we were starting our channel. We're like, well, we don't want it to be too much like El Rey. We, you know, we definitely, they're already sort of doing certain things really well and we can, we could do something totally different. So, you know, that that was something when it was on our minds when we were creating our channel is that we felt that there was some things that El Rey was already doing really well. Um, so we were, we were trying to go another direction. So I got a uh, I got a trivia question for you guys, um, and you okay. probably know this, um, and uh, well maybe you don't, maybe you do. But uh, today in history, today in horror history, uh, May yeah. 9th, nineteen eighty. May ninth. Uh, a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> <laughs> what, the day what you is came significant? Home? Mm-hmm. Is there a significant of a, a horror day? Yeah, the May ninth in nineteen eighty. What 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 happened on May ninth in nineteen eighty? May ninth, uh, nineteen eighty. We get some guesses. Like, was was somebody born? Uh, was it, it was a release? A, a release of a film? It was a release of a film. Okay, okay. May ninth, nineteen eighty. A release of a film. Uh, so this is a landmark horror film that was released May ninth, nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. I'm not sure so. You would say so? I know. Is it uh, I I would guess is it Phantasm or The Shining? It was not Phantasm or The Shining. Ah, darn it. Yeah, The Shining I know from okay. 1980. That might have been uh, Yeah, I think it was 1980 it was released. Okay, uh Hmm. Hmm. Any other uh, hints you want to drop, Michael? Um, all right. Um, I mean, it, it is truly a, an iconic horror film. Uh, would it be uh, Halloween? I, not Halloween. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th is the correct answer. So... <laughs> So, for May ninth, Friday the thirteenth, starting May ninth. <laughs> I, yeah, right? I don't know what. The, <laughs> but Friday the. How did they miss that 19th. marketing? Why did, uh, wouldn't it? Shouldn't it have opened on the thirteenth? One one would think. You know, one would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one would think that would be the perfect day. You know, pick a, a yeah. month that has a Friday the thirteenth, and then release it on right. that day. Because I um, believe that the sequels they did do that. They probably did. Right. A well, of them, what yeah. about what about the Omen in 2006? Didn't they have the 666 release dates, June 6, 2006? Oh yeah, right, right. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. The For Omen the, with Ryan Reynolds. We were going to do that with Plan Nine. Nine nine oh nine was supposed to be the release of Plan Nine, but at that point we were only able to drop the uh, proof of concept trailer. Yes, well, you know, numbers, I do, numbers can be cashed. 
I, I do want to ask you about Plan Nine, but before I do that, so we can come um, back the to reason it. I the reason I mentioned Friday the Thirteenth uh, yes. and about today in history uh, is yes. uh, just quick announcement. Uh, next week, right here on Horror News Confidential, uh, my guest will be uh, the creator of Friday the Thirteenth, Victor Miller. So he's going to be oh, joining. Wow. Uh, yeah, so he's going to be joining us. We're going to be exciting. talking about Friday the 13th. Uh, and then he, uh, you know the, the new movie that he wrote, uh, which is um, uh, Rock, Paper, Dead. Rock, Paper, <laughs> Dead. Yeah, it's uh, the, a new movie. Yes, well, you know, the original Friday the 13th, it's really interesting because, you know, there's such a cliche that is assumed because you know, there's so many, like, six teenagers go into the woods and get killed movies. And right. um, what's interesting about Friday the 13th, when you watch it, and I got to watch it, we did a show in Sacramento with Adrian King and um, uh, Henry Manfredini, um, and um, Harry Manfredini, sorry. <laughs> Harry Manfredini, the guy who did the music, and uh, Adrian King, who was the, the, the star of the lead. Alice, wasn't she Alice? Alice, yeah. right, right. And we, I sat in with them in the audience, you know, and, and um, we did kind of a little bit of a mystery science theater where we're kind of, um, I'm passing the microphone back and forth and talking to them while, while the movie's playing. We're not really mystery science theater. It's more like an audio commentary only live, you know. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting when you watch this movie, because I hadn't seen it in many years, um, it's got some genuine suspense. It's got some really like the te- you don't hate the teenagers. Like the teenagers are all kind of like interesting. They're good actors. They're kind of talented. You can tell they're all like like off Broadway kind of. Tra- <laughs> tra- well, they all look like they're twenty six too. <laughs> they all look like they're well, I guess that too. But you know, it's like one of them <laughs> sketching, another one's juggling, the other one's doing a Catherine Hepburn <laughs> impersonation. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, they're 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 really like like kind of dynamic and talented uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, they're not like just these, these kind of vacant uh, models who you're just waiting to get killed. You know, you kind it's of like um, getting ready for a, a vaudeville show or something. Yeah. You know, they, they were, they were, you, know, you kind of like these kids and you, you know, you didn't really, um, you know, and, and they were, like I said, they weren't annoying. They weren't, uh, they weren't bad actors. And, um, you know, they were all well, kind of Kevin, doing Kevin Bacon. I don't think anybody hates Kevin Bacon. Good shtick. You know, they were all doing good <laughs> shtick. You know, good. Yeah, good. And yeah. and then, um, you know, it, it's it's funny he, because, like I said, one, that, that movie gets a such, has such a has such a rep for being so. Um, all those movies, you know, have such a rep for for being kind of low quality. But in watching that movie, it's like uh, watching the first one. Uh, it really has some genuine suspense and some and some good acting in it, which. You know that whole genre, which it pretty much you know spawned, um, right, right, isn't famous for any of that. You know. Anyway. Yeah, I mean Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, you know, whether you think it's bad or or you you think it's good, I mean, it, it really made a uh, an effect on all these horror movies that followed it. I mean. It left a footprint that, you know, people just wanted to um, to, to copy because it was uh, successful. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you're you're copying. Uh, in, in the case of Friday the Thirteenth, you know, Friday the Thirteenth probably owes a lot to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween. You know, 
Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it definitely, it, it also created a lot of the rules or the, uh, the tropes and the cliches, um, that were followed for years and years and years. Um, and what's interesting is when, you know, Halloween and Texas Chainsaw kind of lost steam, Friday the 13th kept going. You know, it's kind of like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. It's like, you know, the Beatles hit real hard, but then the Rolling Stones went on forever, you know. Um, and uh, Friday the they, 13th kind of They kind of like their... lost me. <laughs> they kind of lost me when, uh, you know, Jason uh, took Manhattan and he went to space. Sure. You know? Went to space and went to Manhattan. I, I, you know, but I see, I, I have a soft spot for bad movies famously. So I kind of enjoy those ones on a different level. Um, but, uh, yeah, they all, you always got to go to space and man, and, and the hood and, uh, <laughs> you, know, you always have got to go to space. There's the, uh, that should be the log line because, because you've always got to go to space. <laughs> You've always got to go to space, right? Hellraiser went to space. Leprechaun, I think. Did Leprechaun go to space? It must have. They had to have. You know, at some point, I think these sequels stopped going to space. I mean, maybe with Transformers, they kind of always were in space, but I don't know. Hmm. Like, how come people don't go to space anymore? Uh, what was the last franchise to go to space? The Muppets? Maybe the Muppets. I don't know. A lot of <laughs> shit takes place in space. I don't know. A lot of uh, it just starts. They uh, start it in space. They don't even bother. They start in space exactly, and then they'll then they'll take Manhattan. Yes. Well, yes. you know, there's a, there's today's a new space, Halloween tomorrow movie. Manhattan. You know, may, maybe uh, maybe Danny McBride and uh, and uh, David Gordon Green are, are going to put Michael Myers in space. Michael Dude, Myers. Dude, I am. I gotta space. say, I am so excited about that. I, I, I'm a big Danny McBride fan, and I think those guys, David Gordon Green, and I love the 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 new series, Vice Principals. I just think they, they're more than just like, you know, comedy, gross out dudes. Like those guys, I, I really like what they do, and I'm interested to see what they're gonna do with Halloween. Well, you know, they're I getting a bad I... a bad rap. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're getting a bad rap just because, you know, they're comedy guys, you know, but, you know, I really do think that they're going to, um, you know, uh, you know, take this genre of uh, this franchise of Halloween and, and make it their own. And, you know, apparently John Carpenter, um, you know, he, he's all for it, you know, so um, you that's know, what he's I heard, a yeah. creative consultant. Yeah. You know, I, the thing is, you don't know it. You don't know how a movie is going to be until you see it. And, um you know, I mean, they've certainly done worse with Halloween, so you know, I can't, I can't imagine um, them taking it somewhere worse than they've already taken it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, um, I, I don't. David Gordon Green's a talented um, director too. So, uh, John Carpenter, you know, apparently, you know, he's he's read the, um, you know, he's read the script that wowed him. You know, he's. On hmm. board as like executive producer and creative consultant. Uh, I think he's even rumored to do the music for this new one. So I mean, oh, he, that's exciting. He's gonna get, yeah, he's going to get his hands dirty uh, for the first time since I think Halloween too, uh, where he's actually going to you know contribute. Wonderful. I mean, that's great. Well, that says a lot for what they're doing, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, John Carpenter. Uh, you know, it's his baby. So, you know, if he's, uh, if he's on board sure. with it, you know, really, that's really what matters. Yeah. Oh, no doubt yeah. about it. I mean, you know, that's probably my all time favorite 
uh, horror movie franchise, um, you know, more so than Friday the 13th, more so than, you know, Phantasm or any of the others. Uh, Halloween's kind of, mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, where I, you know, Halloween is the one for you. On horror movies. Yeah. yeah. See, I, re- I really enjoy the, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy Halloween 3 a lot, and that's the one that never gets any respect, but I love Halloween 3. Absolutely. Mm. Which let's let's uh, let's bring this to what I uh, was mentioning a few uh, moments ago. Uh, so, top ten horror movies that need a horror movie reboot, and mm-hmm. Halloween Three: Season of the Witch uh, came out in 1982. Um, mm-hmm. It's on my list. It's definitely on my list. I you know I think it is one of those movies that, you know, could be a movie kind of set off to the side. It was, you know, lumped in with the, the Halloween franchise, but, um, I mean, I really, I really dug it. I really liked the, the whole premise. I think if they remade it, I think they could make it even better. Um, I mean, and that whole, um, jingle, you know, that they do continuously yes. throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Silver Shamrock. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like so so catchy and, and so like creepy at the same time. Um, yeah, that's, again, what, what do you guys think? I think so. I think they should remake it as Phantasm 65000. There you go. <laughs> because I feel like it's that kind of movie where it's, it's, it's got sort of a fantastical element to it. Um, you know, you kind of, the, 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 the um, Connell Cochran is kind of like the tall man. Um, there's sort of these, uh, you know, he's got this weird master plan to sort of take over the world, this sort of weird, uh, sorcery involved. Um, and then, uh, you know, you could also cross it over maybe with Blade Runner, uh, because you've got the replicants sort of in there too. So you could just have a free for all three way (laughs) franchise crossover like the Avengers, you know, they could yeah. they could be the disenfranchised. You could take all the all the all the offshoots of other franchises that didn't quite get off the ground and combine them together into one one you new could start franchise. Your own cinematic universe. You could start your own <laughs> cinematic universe. Yes, the disenfranchised universe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that would resonate with a lot of people. Um, what about all the movies we were promised sequels to that we never got? We never got another Buckaroo Banzai. We never got another Dr. Detroit. We never got another Remo Williams. You know, you could probably lump all those in there too. Yeah. Oh, they've yeah, all been, they've all been kind of dormant waiting for, waiting to sort of form like Voltron. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Waiting for the right moment. Uh, who would be the head of Voltron? Remo Williams or Buckaroo Banzai? I'm not sure. <laughs> one, this is one thing that I think was 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 uh, reboot proof or sequel proof or whatever you want to say, but yeah. it's not really a horror movie. But I always found it kind of haunting, especially since I watched it as a child. But I think the Dark Crystal, um, it, it's, oh, it's yeah. so, it has such a classic look, and I, I and in, in some ways I don't really think it should be touched. But I think the right person, like a Guillermo del Toro, could really do a lot of interesting things with with that sort of that mythology, the, the imagery, the, some of the, just the, the Skeksis and all that stuff. I, I think Jim Henson though, did kind of 
have some things in his will that were like, don't freaking touch this movie or whatever. This is my baby. Or oh, <laughs> did he? Yeah. I, well, I sort of feel like he was, you know, I have this Lucas, um, Lucas Henson theory where George Lucas always secretly wanted to be Jim Henson and Jim Henson always secretly wanted to be George Lucas. And whenever they tried to push that threshold, either direction, their fans would turn on them. And I think dark crystal was Henson's sort of trying to verge on being Lucas and he would have, I think that, that had that had taken off, they would have done five of those movies had it take, had it had taken off the way he wanted it to. Yeah, it really, it, yeah, it, it didn't. And I don't, I don't remember, you know, those, those, those days I, I was just a, a, a youngster. So I, I don't really remember exactly how it was received or anything like that, but I, I have always loved it and have a special place for it. But a remake with a, in, in the right hands could be very good. Or just continue, or just or just continue it. You know, just keep going. Just right. Uh, you that, know, that too. I, you know. Did what was a? Uh, did they collaborate at all? I mean, was like Labyrinth a, a collaboration of, Labyrinth. of uh, Henson? I think I think okay. Labyrinth is that probably they probably had that conversation. They probably had that, that Freaky Friday conversation. You know, they probably were at a right. dinner or something. You know, I've always wanted to be you, really, because I've always wanted to be you. Yeah, well, let me tell you about this thing called Skeksy, you know, whatever. Well, let me tell you about Jar Jar Binks. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. why don't we make a movie together? Okay. And then they probably just, you know, realized they had a lot of common ground. And, and then, you know, Henson got to do a lot of stuff with actual humans. <laughs> and Lucas got to do some stuff with some adorable puppets. And they both were happy. Yeah. And Frank Oz got, to, that- got a lot of voice work. Yeah, yeah, and David Bowie got to ha- wear a really uncomfortable codpiece. Well, it wasn't uncomfortable for him; it was just uncomfortable for everyone else. In the world's most epic mullet, epic mullet, indeed, absolutely. I feel like that 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 mullet should have just got an Academy Award just by itself. Mm. And the world was in, in, introduced to Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> unless, unless they had, not unless they'd seen uh, Phenomenon the year before. That was my first. Uh, I've never stopped having a crush on her since. Uh, yeah, she was pretty amazing. And I think I was maybe, I was a teenager when that came out. So I, I was all for it. Yeah. I heard it's being remade, and I, this is this is kind of sacred ground to me because it's my favorite yeah. all-time horror movie, and it's the, it's called Jacob's Ladder, mm-hmm. and, and Jacob's Ladder apparently oh, yeah. is being remade. I, I don't know much about it, but it it kind of it kind of pains me just because I I it I can't see how it, it's going to be made any better, only worse. And I no disrespect to the filmmakers, I don't know who they are, but um, I just feel like that is like the perfect movie in my opinion, and I. It's uh, it's being it's redone. haunting. I I saw that in the theater. It was it really bothered me. Um, and um, yeah. it's 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 definitely a classic. Although I don't, you know, is it a horror movie or it's? I kind of put it in the in the category of altered states, where it's sort of a psychological yeah. thriller. Uh, yeah, there's a lot happening there that you have to really think about. It's sort of surreal. Um, you know, I think that that's why it is so scary. Is because uh, you, you have a hard time. Um, you know, getting a beat on what's happening, um, but in such a great way, just kind of on that roller coaster uh, of insanity. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, how I do, like how do you? Of, yeah. 
how do you top yeah. that? You know, yeah, I, I think that the good the good thing about that, I know what you're saying, but you know, every time there is, no matter any continuance, any anything that threads the future to the past, a prequel, a remake, a reboot, a sequel, every time, every time, no matter how good it is, no matter how bad it is, a whole generation goes back and revisits the original. You know, and um, the original always gets a boost, no matter how the remake turns out. So um, even if the, 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 you know, even if we have an embarrassing Ghostbusters type situation with um, Jacob's Ladder, at least the original will get a shot in the arm and, and, um, and people will revisit that movie. Because it's a great movie. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a that's a very good point. Yeah, because it, it's one of those movies that flies under the radar. And a lot of people like they either don't know about it or they're just like, oh yeah, I saw that. That that movie really disturbed me. And so it's not one of those like it's it's, it's kind of an odd choice for a remake or or whatever they're gonna do with it. If it's gonna be a, a sequel or whatever. It is well, odd I choice because like, I don't think it was a hit. I don't think it was a runaway hit. I think that this is just a situation where it's like it's got brand recognition and maybe we've got some technology today that wasn't available at that time. See, to yeah. me, that maybe the, that, the ones that you should remake would be the ones that were not quote-unquote hits. Um, I mean, there are those ones that kind of fell short a little bit, you know, the ones that... That was the theory you know, behind you want, Plan 9. <laughs> yeah, you you wanted a little bit more from that, that movie, and, and therefore, hey, you know, let's remake it and, and make it better than what it was. You know, I, I don't understand the... Um, I mean, I do understand why they make the quote-unquote popular movies over and over again, because, well, they're popular. You know, and, sure. you know, why make this little movie that didn't do anything originally into anything other than, you know, you know, what it was. But um, we, I, I don't know. That's just my... Do you remember the... I have a theory, a little bit of a theory that kind of ties in with what you're saying. Do you remember the the, the scene in Back to the Future where um, Doc Brown draws this line on the chalkboard that's supposed to represent the timeline? And they were they were in the future of an alternate um, 1955, you know, and they they couldn't fix it in 1985. They had to go all the way back to 1955 to somehow fix the present, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that I think movie producers are in that scenario to where, okay, the world's effed now. There's so much. There's so much fragmentation. It's impossible to cut through all the noise, all the competing messages. You know, everything on everything that comes across the internet, people give five seconds of their time and move on to the next thing. It's like it's impossible to break through at this point with anything new. But right. if we go back and get on top of something that actually broke through when you could get a large amount of saturation, like even something that was a minor hit, like Battlestar Galactica, for, uh, Battlestar Galactica, for example. Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. was a minor hit in the in the late eight, in the late seventies. Okay, it wasn't a runaway hit. It it got its it got its clock cleaned by sixty minutes every Sunday night. Okay, it wasn't the top show, but even that show reached millions of more people than the biggest hit 
on television today because it's so fragmented. You know, so it's easier for them to tap into that audience from 1979 and go, okay, well, 75 million people watch this show. So if if we if we say, hey, we're doing more, you know, we're we're going to get a big chunk of of people's attention for by doing that. You know, um, whether or not they even want to make that show, because when you watch the new Battlestar Galactica, it really doesn't have a lot, whole heck of a lot to do with the old Battlestar Galactica at all. But it had the yeah. name recognition. And, uh, and I think that a lot of it is like that, where it's like, you know, you've got these, this, this, uh, this uh, trying to, to cut through the clutter uh, of, of so much competing media. It's like, how do we get people's attention? It's like, we can't. So we've got to go back, <laughs> go back in time to where things worked and things did cut through and did reach millions of people and try to carve right. some of those people out. I don't know. That's my theory. Well, you know, not that any, theory, anything actually. from yeah. – it is a great theory. It is a great theory, you know. And, you know, I don't expect, you know, some of these movies to be remade. You know, maybe, you know, it's my wish list or whatever. But, uh, you know, another one I always loved uh, from 1985, uh, the movie The Stuff. You know, I – Oh, it, yeah. It just, I, you know, it, it's my – uh, I don't know. It's Guilty like pleasure. dirty little pleasure, you know, definitely. Mm-hmm. I want to have one of those little one of those little containers. I, I know that the producer of that movie usually goes to conventions and stuff and sells those, but I would love to have a container of the stuff in my refrigerator for sure. Oh, me too. Oh, I, I would love to get one of those. Um, the stuff was great because it's kind of in the tradition of the blob and, you know, a lot of those um, things kind of came out of nowhere. Certainly a great cult movie. I think the, the certainly with the effects today, they could do more than what they did then, although for the time, I thought those effects were pretty great. Um, yeah. You know. No, no. I but, mean, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it would be very timely, you know. I mean, you could uh, jump on the bandwagon of, like, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, the Food and Drug Administration and non-GMO and organic and, you know, like, you know, all these uh, Manasato products and you know, everything like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Yep, I can see that. You know, that could almost be a good, like, miniseries, like for television or something, you know. I could see that, too. Like, a, like, a, like you know, when Sci-Fi Channel used to do those, those like, you know, eight-part miniseries or whatever, you know, I could see yeah, doing, yeah. doing uh, the stuff as a, as a TV series, even. I think they're doing, aren't they doing that with the mist? Are they? I don't know that. Are they? I, I feel like I saw something. I mean, of course they did the mm. movie about 10 years ago, which was, which I liked a lot. I thought they did, you know, and again, Michael and I were talking about this. I haven't read the book, um, but, uh, but I like the I like what they did with the mist. I I feel like Stephen King has so many stories and from just all over the place. What is you it like Shakespeare? Is, is he is he had more movies from his works than Shakespeare now? I think it might be. I think that I think other than the Bible, I think there's I think, I think it's so. like Stephen King and the Bible are the two things that have been the most movies about. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, that, I, sounds good to me. So, I think he left uh, Shakespeare wanted, in the dust a few years ago. Yeah, he probably did. Um, but uh, you know, plus he's still alive, like, so he can keep writing. Yeah. 
Andy, so um, throwing it at you, what um, if you could remake anything? Um, doesn't have to be popular. Would you make uh, remake something from the horror genre? Oh yeah, yeah. That that is that's 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 what I really uh, uh, love. Uh, I, I would consider Jacob's Ladder uh, um, horror to me. I just go by what what is what is scary. Um, and speaking of Stephen King, I think um, one of the scarier bits was in a movie that I, I would hesitate to say is is not a, a a poorly done movie, but I think it could be so much better. And that's Pet Cemetery. And um, I, I would what I would do is kind of like just focus on Zelda because Zelda, the the, the sister dying of spinal meningitis in the bedroom. Um, right. Right. In, in the in the eighties version was a was a pretty small side story, but probably widely considered to be the the uh scariest, if not the only scary part of that movie. The rest was a little bit goofy. But yeah. I would do a, a reimagining of that and, and maybe do like a what do they call it? Sort of a, an origin story on Zelda because that but maybe still have the pet cemetery background uh, as like a having that be the side story and Zelda being in the front. Sure. And just yeah, focus I mean, on the deterioration that. of that haunt. Yeah, so uh, that that one comes to mind. And, and didn't they? Did they ever do it? Remember how they had the Troll Two sequel that had nothing to do with Troll One? Oh, It'd be kind of funny. Yeah, maybe that franchise. <laughs> the Troll. Yeah, just do Troll just Three keep and it have going. it. You know, just yeah, just just keep it make going. Up yeah, another I, movie. I, I, Exactly. Let's think of another movie. We'll call it Troll Three, and we can do whatever yeah, yeah. we want. Yeah, I think you could do that anyway because I think that's what they did with Troll Two. I think they just, I don't even think they got the rights. I think they just made up. I think they just made a movie and they just called it Troll Two. I don't know if they had anything yeah. to do with. I don't think they had anything to do with the rights holders of Troll One. I, and I saw the documentary. I, I wonder if they covered that at all. Like there must have been some sort of like. Well, maybe there wasn't any legal because it was all like non-union really really low budget and maybe not, nobody had lawyers or could afford lawyers so they're just like why are you why are you calling oh who cares yeah <laughs> this is a tax dodge we don't care yeah exactly well, exactly um i think it's genius and really just odd i love that odd humor where it's just like i want to do that with chud I, I really I would love to make a because the, yeah. the second chud really has nothing to do with the first chud. I think I actually actually think the the second chud was a return of the living dead uh, script that was rejected or something. They go, oh, let's just call it chud. And then they um, so they did chud two with Bud the chud, which was kind of like a straight comedy <laughs> uh, where he you know and it's really super goofy. Uh, but the the storyline is kind of like Return of the Living Dead where there's sort of like weird uh, sort of trioxin like barrels and all this type of stuff. But uh, so it really doesn't have anything to do with the first uh, Chud, which is, uh, you know, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Um, and, um, you know, the first one was really kind of creepy, had some atmosphere and such a great name. Chud is such a great, you know, iconic really thing. 
And I just, I don't know yeah, why we only I got agree. two. I, I feel like we should have at least got three or four, you know? So uh, I think it would be fun to just, who owns this? Can we get the name? Can we just use the name? We don't need to redesign the chud <laughs> and everything. We just want the name. Can we just use the name? Does it even matter? Does anyone even own the name chud? Because I think yeah. like chud might even be like uh, human resources or house housing, urban development, or, you know, I think it might well, have yeah, been something in, in that Sacramento, already they have, existed. Uh, in Sacramento, they have smud, which is the, Sacramento Metropolitan Utilities District. I used to so live. Wow, I'm from Sacramento. Are you from Sacramento? Are you kidding me? Right I am. Now? I, yeah, yeah. I, I went. I grew up. I'm Carmichael. from Sacramento. Yeah, Carmichael, Fair Oaks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I used I'm, to live in Carmichael. I uh, actually, my first TV station that I was ever on was Sacramento TV station, which is News 10 or KXTV okay. News 10. Mm-hmm. That was the well, first I station school. I was ever on. Well, I went to school all through grade school with Lisa Ling, and so Lisa Ling was is in my grade. I'm 43, so. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, wow. she she kind of she got on to Scratch back in I remember that yes. back in high school. I, I remember Scratch. Deal. I actually worked I actually worked on Scratch a little bit. Oh, nice. What um yeah. What high school did you go to? I went to Rio Americano. Oh yeah, I remember them. We I was on the swim yeah. team. I did not not by choice. I was. My parents forced me to swim uh, I, for some reason. I didn't reason. want to be there. I was I was hardly I was hardly attending. I was I was in my own world of eight millimeter movies and drawing cartoons and I, you know I wasn't into uh, swimming or track or sports or anything that didn't involve robots. Oh wow <laughs> wow yeah I, fun stuff yeah Sacramento I uh, I think uh, yeah, I'm trying to let's take a filmmaker. I'm sorry. I well, Michael. If there's any, I think we talked about this. I also before I moved to Sacramento, I lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So, okay, <laughs> there we go. And now I'm in they, Pennsylvania, so we're all family now. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, it's all come full circle. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I, I there was so uh, we we were going to redo Chud. We're going to redo Troll. Reboot. <laughs> Reboot it What's all. What's next? Troll. Well, I would say well, another maybe, Oh, how about snatchers. this? Troll versus Chud. No matter oh, who we wins, we lose. There we go. Exactly. Perfect. I like that. Perfect. I like your uh, I, you know, I like your idea earlier where where everything all these movies are connected somehow. I I love that idea. Well, if the, you know, if the big if Marvel and D, and Disney can do it, why can't all the B movies do it too? We'll just we'll, you know, we'll connect like, all the movies that aren't worth a damn. Have yeah, and maybe shot. maybe they'll create one one decent movie by by you know creating you know having four B movies join. <laughs> can, right. can four B movies create uh, one regular movie? I, I, yeah, you, you, exactly. You have all these empty containers of the stuff you know down like you know and and <laughs> Chud's dwelling. You know? The, the trolls, stuff, the yes, the troll. I can see the trolls eating the stuff also. Mm. Maybe they could be fighting exactly. over the stuff. The, the, the troll keeps stealing the stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it is it is fascinating. I, I actually feel like, speaking of Return of the Living Dead also, I feel like that, you know, those two made-for-sci-fi ones were so miserable. I feel like that that series deserved better. I feel like that it would be great to do something that has a little satire to it, that has a little humor that has the right amount of shock 
that is uh, mm-hmm. has a great ensemble cast because that movie, the original Return of the Living Dead, had such a marvelous ensemble cast. You know, and, and younger people and older people. You know, it's great to have older people in your movie. I always tell young filmmakers, it's like put a couple older people in your movie. It gives it so much gravity and weight. If everyone looks like they're in college, it just makes it seem like somebody's backyard movie. You know what I mean? You got to have a couple older people. Um, right. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, it just. I thought oh. that we are we are still here. They did that. They did a pretty good job. We are still here. I don't know if you guys we saw that movie. We are still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah they I did. They, I think the 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 lead couple. I mean, there was some there was some some good for nothing teenagers in there as well. But uh, sure. the, the main couple, I think, looked like they were in their forties or you know late thirties, something like that. Which, you know, I, I like seeing that myself as well. You know, not just because I'm in my early forties, but it's like, you know, it just it's it's more realistic. That's that's how people really look and I don't know. Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a world full of, of lots of different kinds of people, not just people who look like they're right off a casting call sheet. Right. Or a casting couch. Or a casting couch. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Out here in LA, it really, that, that is one of the old adages that really does kind of stay true. There are so many good looking people in LA and mm-hmm. after a while, I noticed the people that really start to do well are the people that are unique looking, not necessarily bad looking or good looking, mm-hmm. but just like you look like a person, not like a, a, a Ken doll or a Barbie doll. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, character actors are uh, a important resource, you know. I mean, you know, it's just people who, who have a different look about them or unusual looking or, you know. Whatever, or just look like somebody's dad, you know, because that's important too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've got. Uh, I'll, um, tell, I'll tell you one more that I have here. Um, yeah. Uh, from this is from 1980, uh, and okay. I think it would make an outstanding remake. Uh, and I'm talking about Motel Hell. Oh boy! Okay. Yes, Farmer. Um. Um, I'm forgetting his name. It's not Farmer Fritters. Uh, Farmer. Yeah, Farmer. But, oh. I, I, you know what? <laughs> I'm trying to spit out the catchphrase from that, but uh, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer whatever's fritters. Or whatever. Farmer fritters. Yeah. Yeah, that was. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, the boy, that was a mar- great casting on that movie, and, and it almost seemed like a unofficial uh, Texas Chainsaw sequel in a lot of ways um and uh a lot of fun and a scary movie and yeah could be remade and there could be a dozen of them why not yeah i remember uh i don't know what channel it was but i remember i was young and i remember like you know staying up late at night like really late um and it was on and then just like seeing like all these heads in the ground you know and I mean that that and the gurgling, the gurgling, that awful, uh, awful gurgling that they would make when they just was, had the sacks over the their heads part. waiting to get harvested. That was the best part, the gurgling. The, yeah, yeah, that's a great so movie. Uh, and then uh, what, what? What was his? Was his name Farmer Fritter? What the hell was his name? That's what I'm trying to remember. Farmer, whatever's fritters. Yeah. My, let me see if Dixie knows. Farmer Vincent. Dixie. Vincent. Motel Hell. Farmer Vincent. Do you remember? Okay. 
I'm just trying to remember his name. The farmer from Motel Hell. Yeah, what's Farmer Vincent? Farmer Vincent? Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, what a great, um, you know, like I said, that, that one, like I said, almost felt like a, I felt like, uh, like that would be a good double feature with te- not the original Texas Chainsaw, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Motel Hell as a double bill would be a great show. Yeah, well, I mean, and it was Farmer Vincent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Biting with chainsaws and the weird, the pig, the pig uh, mask was pretty great. Yeah. You know, and a lot of movies have done the pig mask since then. And a lot of movies have done chainsaw fighting. You know, it, it was, it was early in that, you know, early in that appropriation of that. And a farmer, Vincent, he used to go out and he used to feed the heads the stuff. That's right. That's right. Keep the trolls at bay with a shotgun. <laughs> exactly. See what I'm there saying? Movie that all coming Raven, around. Mm-hmm. Another movie that I I, uh, I always found very creepy was the Wes Craven movie, um, The Serpent in the Rainbow. I think that would be a, oh, a, yeah. an interesting kind of remake because, uh, I, you know, like 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 you were saying about uh, some of the some of the advances in uh, technology, like you just you could do more interesting stuff. With the with the possessed, you know, zombie characters. Yeah, that movie is really unsettling, and it would be interesting to see, um, you know, that premise. Um, you know, they can do so much visually. You know, if you look at a movie like Doctor Strange, like what can't they do? They could pretty much do anything. So it would be interesting to see um, someone who was uh, totally in the, you know. Uh, in this magical voodoo world, you could just have some really crazy evil stuff happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you the best part of that movie. Like, well, the part that I liked the most was um, it was just complete darkness when he's trapped in the coffin and trying to scratch and, and dig mm-hmm. his way out. And all, all you heard was you didn't see anything. You just heard like the breathing and the struggle. Yeah, no, that was mm-hmm. very effective, and it's funny because, you know, typically in movies when someone's in pitch blackness, you can always see everything, you know, because they, they just they, – they don't want to give the audience that much credit, you know. It's like this very well-lit in, coffin interior, you know. So it's nice to see that they uh, were brave enough to to let us use our imagination. Absolutely. I thought they were going to remake uh, Gremlins, but I I'm not saying that I I wish they would remake Gremlins, but I I'm surprised that hasn't been. Well, I, I wish they would remake Gremlins, but I wish they would remake it not as what it was, not as the um you know the feel good you know holiday you know comedy horror, but I would like them to remake it as like a uh, a strong scary horror movie where you get these gremlins that um you know like think back like you know the the bugs bunny cartoon where like the gremlin like goes in the airplane to sabotage it you know you know have these gremlins like going in airplanes and like you know like throwing parts out and you know just make Uh, it like you know the the dan o'bannon story the dan o'bannon story from heavy metal uh, was called gremlins with the um b-17 bomber uh, and the zombies taking over the B-17 uh, bomber. Um, that was originally okay. the story was originally called Gremlins, and then they changed the Gremlins to zombies when they animated it. But um, that would be that would be a pretty terrifying 
um, story to, to, to expand from. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I think they should do Gremlins, but yeah, definitely go the complete opposite of what it was. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. I agree. I agree. Really, I agree with you. Scary, really scary, devious uh, creatures. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and the Twilight Zone uh, sort of touches on that a little bit too. I mean, the uh, uh, terror at uh, twenty-five thousand feet or whatever. That's that story is a Gremlin story. So. You know, we yeah, definitely there definitely that. is a precedent. Definitely is a precedent of a of a terrifying gremlin. We just I, we just needed we needed do you see the whole movie? Yeah, right. That that was a terrifying, terrifying movie. That that scared the crap out of me as a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and John yeah, Lithgow I mean, didn't do too bad a job either in the um, in that remake of that story for the Twilight Zone movie. Oh yeah, I always forget that was him. That's great. That's right. That's the one. That's the one I think of when I think. That's my memory of it. Was the, was the movie. Um, what about Scanners? The, was that the the David Cronenberg movie? I think that's in the nineteen eighty eighty one something like that eighty two. The the, yes. the the tele telepathic telekinetic. One of the one of the screen's best head explosions, in my opinion. Yes. Oh yes. It's oh All yeah. practical and you know I would. Yeah, that's. I wonder who did those special effects, but that yeah, I remember that, the that talk on the playground. The talk on the playground was all about the head explosion. That was what everybody wanted to talk about was the head explosion from Scanners. Was that Michael Ironside wow. whose poor head exploded? Uh, no, Michael Ironside was making the other guy's head explode. Michael Ironside was was grimacing and having veins <laughs> pop out of his head. And then this other guy, this poor other guy who was just at the wrong conference. Uh, gets his head exploded. Yeah, good stuff though. Really great. I mean, and you know, I mean, that's what David Cronenberg. You need more. Of that. Uh, you know, why didn't we get? I, I again, I feel like we needed more. We I know there was a Scanners two and a Scanners three, I believe, but they kind of went hmm. real, real cheap with the other two. Uh, uh, I remember watching one of them uh, on cable or something, going, "Wow, is this even the same movie?" So it would be great to see that world revisited and well done with the same amount of intensity that the first one had. Yeah. I think the first one seemed like a pretty wide release, like a big budgeted movie for that time anyway. And, you yeah. know, Cronenberg, what he did Videodrome either after that or before that, I think. So that was right around Mike, the time he did the, I think Stephen Mike would King. know better than I would, but yeah, that's, that's, I think, I think Videodrome, I feel like Videodrome is after scanners, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm it is. Sure. I, I mean, think it were, is, and then he, and then he did the uh, the Christopher Walken Stephen King book. Uh, I forget what it's called. The, the dead, dead something. Dead zone. Dead, dead zone. zone. Dead zone. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was later. Dead zone was a little later, but yeah, dead zone. Again, Cronenberg made some really intense, really great movies that uh, that made us feel weird about our bodies. And he made a lot of them. <laughs> sure uh, did. You know, I, I mean, the fly. Um, you know, shivers, um, and then the Existence. Did you ever see that? That's a pretty strange movie. Huh? Yeah, with Jude Law. Jude Law in that? Or... No. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is. I don't think at the time when I saw it, I don't think I, I would have identified him as Jude Law. Well, he did Naked Lunch too, right? Cronenberg. That was that is yeah, a weird Cronenberg body. Na- yeah, Naked Lunch. Yeah, body horror, right? It's just what a thing to be known for. 
it's interesting <laughs> when you see him in other movies, you know, David Cronenberg, he always seems like this nice kind of substitute teacher looking guy, you know, and he's got, <laughs> right. he's got all that weirdness under the surface. Like oh David God, Lynch, yeah. but not as, yeah. Some David Lynch too. The Changeling is another horror movie. I, I really like it was it's subtle, but I think, you know, I don't know if it should be touched, oh, but George C. Scott's marvelous. one of my favorite actors. Oh, my God, that movie's marvelous. You know, ghost stories are so hard to do because once you explain everything, it has no power anymore. And um, and they did that just right somehow uh, with The Changeling. So, yeah, I agree with you. That's an amazing movie. Yeah, so much so that maybe it shouldn't be touched. I don't know. I mean, it, just, it could just be like George C. Scott is, uh, is that Peter, Peter Medek, I think, Peter... Who did some other? I feel like someone like, must. I feel like that movie may have already been remade, but I'm not sure. The change so that is literary. Yeah, it's, I, it's I literary. It so I think that I think it has been I, remade. I think, I, I think it was made just a couple of years ago too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But I, I don't even think I've seen it. I think it just went right past my radar. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. Um, you know, there's a few of those, like like the the. Uh, there's a few of those, like that. That new Amityville was t- terrible. I thought. I don't want to be mean, but no, you're the, right. The, it was. It was horrible. Um, either it's a hit or a miss, and and there's been quite a few misses. I, you know, did Poltergeist you the remake was horrible of the... too. That that Poltergeist made me sad. I know the, it the made me remake. sad. I mean, I, I I knew I was going to see it because of Sam Rockwell and Sam Raimi, and yeah. I, I just was like, I'm going to see it, and I'm going to be disappointed, but I. I have to see it. Yeah, I, I mean, I like but I'm not. A, you know, I don't have as much venom as a lot of other horror fans. I'm not like you know. I I, I just feel bad for them. It's just sort of like, well, nice try, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just keep making them. You'll get it right. I don't know. Sorry about that. Just, well, just didn't work. I was pleasantly surprised by the by the the. I guess it's a sequel, the Blair Witch. Uh, I guess it's three. Um, that that mm-hmm. Adam Adam Wingard did. Man, I. I I I wrote him a note on on Facebook because I was like you you guys did a fantastic job and I I loved the first one and the second one I thought was pretty terrible in, in my opinion and um, but this one man they they really I saw it or not check it out I, I have not seen it's, the third one so yeah it's, give it a look. it's worth a watch it's really worth a watch they 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 really had a lot of love for that original and they they still made it fresh and 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 they made it a sequel and they they referenced the first one but um. I mean, the art direction was great. And it was it was legitimately scary, and I was not expecting much at all. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's that Poltergeist broke my heart, man. Good. I think I think Insidious was the best Poltergeist remake. Oh, good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. And that's sometimes I think a good way to do a remake is if you just kind of you know use it as, as the original as an inspiration, and then just try to do something um in the same vein you know um like i felt that way about doomsday you know i mean yeah it's kind of just escape from new york only escape from england or whatever but i thought it was good you know it's like if you're gonna steal something steal something good and i thought they did i enjoyed it i haven't seen that one but uh is that based on a, no doom is the video game no doomsday yeah it's just it's uh basically it's it's um she's she's i mean she's like a female snake plissken i mean she's got an eye patch and everything and then she's uh um they drop her in england because there's some sort of virus so they build, they build this wall 
uh, in England. That's got oh, is that the guy that did pop- the, the the descent? Uh, could be. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. And then and then, uh, but inside of the wall, it's all medieval, uh, and part of it's like punk too. So some of it's like Mad Max. And some of it's like Night Riders, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of uh, like I said, it's sort of like there's escape from I, the way I look at it is there's escape from New York and there's escape from L.A. and there's escape from England, which is doomsday. I mean, that's just how it feels. Yeah, but it wasn't official in any way. But even the fonts that they chose and the music, it's very Carpenter-esque, you know. Before it yeah, was, yeah, I gotta say. Uh, the um, the fog was another remake that uh, comes to mind that was absolutely horrible. Yeah, yeah, I loved the first fog. I thought it was tremendously scary. Uh, the thing remake wasn't so super either, but I guess it was uh, a remake of a remake, right? What was thing remake? Was there a thing remake? Well, there was there was a thing. There was a reboot, I guess, of the thing where it's the story of what happens just before the dog shows up uh, in oh, the original thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, that's forgettable. Um, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the thing, I guess, was already a remake of Howard Hawks' thing, but this was a continuing Carpenter's thing, and uh, or I guess a prequel to Carpenter's thing, and boy, was it, yeah, it was forgettable. And, and it's a shame, because, again, it's like I'm not, you know, I don't fault them for, for trying, but... Um, uh, you know, I was the target audience for that, I'm sure, and it didn't hit, it didn't didn't hit the bullseye, as far as I was concerned. And the so fog one, I felt the same uh, way about. So the the remake, or um, let's talk about Plan Nine. How how did uh, sure. how did that come about? Uh, the way that it came about, and this is my my feel my my account of how it came about, I guess. John Johnson, who. Um, made a bunch of kind of uh, weird independent movies down in Virginia. He was interviewed for Fangoria and someone had asked him, the subject of remakes came up and they asked him what movie he would remake. And he said, I'd remake a movie that isn't perfect. Like you were saying, I remake a movie that's flawed. Everybody remakes a perfect Mm -hmm. movie. Let's remake a flawed movie. I'd remake plan nine. And I think he just said it like as an offhand joke. But he ended up getting all these phone calls from potential investors, people who were interested in the project, people who wanted to um, help distribute the thing, help get it, you know, help get it financed. It was this thing that kind of snowballed and got out of control for him to where he had to seriously consider, am I going to try and do this or not? Um, And uh, so he – he started saying, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to make Plan 9. And then I had already – I had done a couple of cameos in some of his um, projects, and I had done an a, uh, audio commentary on one of his uh, DVDs. And so for his purposes, I was his Criswell pretty much. It's like, okay, here's this guy. He's got a TV show. He's sort of unnecessarily mysterious. You know, I've, I've been using him in my movies. He's going to be my Criswell. So I got sort of cast as Criswell, and I'm like, you know, I mean, I admire Criswell. I mean, in the original Plan 9 is one of my absolute favorite movies. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a challenge because it's like, you know, I know I don't look like Criswell. I'm physically not like Criswell. It's like, you know, I don't know if I can be a, a, uh, a you know, a 50-year-old albino gay man. Um, but I'm willing <laughs> to learn. Um, 
so no, so I said, I said, look, I, you know, I don't know if I can do this for you, Johnny. And he said, well, look, Criswell was a real guy with a TV show. Um, you're a real guy with a TV show. You're a contemporized version of that kind of guy. And uh, so that's how we approached it. He, he said, I said, what's your vision for Criswell? Mr. Lobo with a bow tie. That's what he said. That was his vision for Criswell. So, uh, <laughs> so I got a bow tie. And um, as I'm, I'm practicing the, oh, greetings, my friends. We're all interested in the future because that is where you and I will spend the rest of our lives. And future events such as these will affect you in the future. So I'm, do, I'm practicing this stuff, you know. Because Criswell is just the narrator in the original. And then I get the script, and it's like Criswell jumps on top of a truck and kills a zombie. You know, Criswell, you know, Criswell is just like a, a character in the story. He's not a, not a narrator. And so it was an unusual a turn for me because as a horror movie host, when people want to put me in their movie, it, I'm typically playing myself or some version of myself where I'm just the spectral narrator. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, or I'm on TV. I'm a TV host in a movie. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. I so it was very unusual for me to be uh, um, really doing like a turn, an acting turn in this thing, a real acting turn. Um, and and I'm, I have more scenes than any other character in the movie, even though I'm, I don't, I'm not the hero. Um, it's an important character in the movie, and Johnny's justification, at least at least how I remember this exchange, is that well, if you watch Plan Nine from Outer Space, the original, Chris, it's on, it's in the format of Criswell's television show. The show, Criswell's show begins. Criswell predicts, and Criswell comes out and he says that this, um, what you're about to see, is based on testimony, um, secret testimony of the people who were involved in this, and that suggests that Criswell knew everyone and heard their story. And if he met everyone and heard their story, he might have been involved in some way. And so this is a strange thing where you have a guy who's in a TV studio who predicts the end of the world, and then he goes out on the street, and now he's part of it. Um, and then he just has to decide whether you know, he's going to just be a spoiled TV personality or if he's going to actually um, – be a hero um, and try to help and try to help save the world. So he's really the only character with an arc in, in this um, where he, I'm a real jerk in the beginning of the movie. And then I end up kind of um, (laughs) being a good guy by the end of it. So it's, it's uh, you know, it was very exciting for me. Um, That that was like I said before, nine, nine Oh nine was when it was supposed to happen. And um, there was, they they spent uh, $20,000 on a, um, uh, proof of concept trailer to get their funding together, and uh, wow. um, we made that in nine nine oh nine, and um, it was shot on film. Uh, Thirty five, looked great. Wow! Um, and then so you shot you um, shot that in two thousand two thousand nine or the actual the, the film two thousand nine yeah that was in two thousand nine and then the one of their investors said if you can wait two years. You can, we'll have enough money where you can shoot the whole thing on film, something like that. And Johnny was really obsessed where he kind of wanted to shoot it on film because you know, right. he was trying yeah. to lose that stigma of being a, a direct-to-video director, backyard video kind of director. He really wanted to make a film, you know. So, um, but, you know, I think the, the – and I don't know exactly all the particulars, but there was a lot of problems with the funding back and forth. So we didn't actually start shooting – 
until 2011. Um, and then we shot the film in 2011. And then there were, it's just like the real Plan 9. There were a lot of problems with finishing funds and all that sort of thing. And then distribution wasn't as easy. And I think maybe just because we waited so long, it was um, not a hot potato anymore by the time it got um, finished. And uh, so the distribution was slow. I mean, they took it to cans and everything. My little Criswell, I did 52 Criswell predictions. Uh, we did a web series with me as Criswell. And they had them playing wow. at cans or at uh, Cannes Film Festival. And, um, you know, so they did, they shopped it, you know, um, Spotlight Pictures shopped it around. And then finally, they it went to like foreign markets first. Like it was in Australia in 2015, I think, and then it was like in the Middle East and stuff in 2016. <laughs> and then finally, it was on VOD in in the later part of 2016. It was on Amazon VOD, and then it hit Walmart stores in uh, January of this year, 2017. So all my friends and family are finally seeing it at, you know, cause they're, 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 uh, it's on the shelf in the Walmart uh, on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. And, um, you know, so now it's kind of finally come to the front lines where people are actually seeing this movie, but that's after a long, long time. I mean, 2009 to today, um, yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an eight year span for this for yeah. this poor movie. And the original Plan Nine had a similar story, where I think that they they started shooting it in the early fifties, and it didn't come out until nineteen fifty nine. You know, it almost opened. You know, it was barely in the fifties by the time it opened by by the time it was distributed. Did wow. um, uh, that might have been the same time I was work? I did a movie with Brian Krause called Alien Rising and. It was right around 2010, so that's interesting because I, I, he probably was. Did you shoot that in L.A. or in uh, no, back no, east? No, no, it was it was shot in Virginia. It was shot in a little okay. town in near uh, Roanoke, Bedford, uh, Virginia. And uh, what was great about it is the whole town just let us go crazy. I mean, we was that's like, you want to set a car on fire? We don't care. You know, we want, you know, it's just like everything was just like, they just, they just, the whole town was just on our, on our side. Cause it's nothing ever. The last thing cool that happened in that town was they filmed the movie. What about Bob with Bill Murray uh, and Richard Dreyfus, right? Is that what it was? Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray. I know it was Bill Murray. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. It was, it was Richard um, yeah. Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray. What about Bob? They filmed that in that same place, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But Brian Krause. Yes. I'm going to bring it back to what you're talking about. Brian Krause. Yes. He is Jeff Trent, the hero in this movie, uh, who, uh, you know, Leo from charmed and, uh, he was in sleep, Stephen King sleepwalkers. And what a great guy. So fun to work with. and so nice. And I was just so amazed by how warm he was and how fun he was. Yeah. He really, yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. Great guy. Very, you know, very experienced and like very sweet. Yeah. Very fun. And we still talk on Facebook. You know, sometimes you meet actors. I meet actors on everything I work on, and they always like, you know, you feel like you meet your new best friend. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you're so great, Mr. Lolo. Yeah, we're gonna have lots of fun. Yeah, we should do 20 movies together like this. And then it's just like <laughs> you never hear from them again, and you realize, oh, they're an actor. They were just being nice, you know, while we were working together. They don't really think I'm cool. Um, and with Brian Krause, though, every once in a while he'll like something on Facebook or, you know, or he'll say something nice, and that's like, oh, well, that's cool. He he still still remembers me. He's a he's a he's a genuine guy. 
Yeah, yeah, he seemed to be a down-to-earth guy, as far as I could tell at the time. Pretty fun stuff. Good stories. He had a lot of stories about Charmed. Yeah, and he was in that Blue Lagoon sequel or reboot. Speaking of reboots, oh, yeah. no, it's a sequel. Return to the Blue Lagoon with <laughs> Return Mila Return to the Blue Lagoon. Oh, my God. Oh, wow, I yeah. I think it was with Boy. Mila or <clears throat> one of those incredibly gorgeous women. And, you know, he made about a thousand of those direct-to-sci-fi channel movies, you know, where he's like try, you know, him running with a dinosaur egg, you know, with, with – uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, he, he made did. a ton of those movies, and um, yeah, he's um, you know, a working actor, um, you know, and and like I said, a, a good guy, and and uh, and definitely the right, the perfect guy to be, um, the hero in this movie. He did a great job. Well, guys, nine. we're quickly uh, we're quickly tick tocking uh, down uh, to the uh, hour. Uh, so I just wanted to um, uh, throw it back over to Andy if you want to, um, you know, use a little bit of time to um, tell us anything that you got coming up or anything that you want to plug real quick, um, you know. Oh, thank, uh, thank you. Well, I, uh, thank you so much. I mentioned the, the form, which is just to finish the script, so I'm excited to to get that, uh, uh, you know, just. To, start that process which is uh, as we were just talking about with plan nine it's such a it can be such a long process nine years hopefully you know hopefully shorter but you just it's a it's a long march but uh my production company is called um lost order films and we just finished a movie called the service which is our second movie our first movie the blessed ones comes out on wild eye releasing i don't know are you guys familiar with wild eye releasing rob absolutely yeah great great guy uh we just so lucky to have met him. I met him through Bill Oberst, actually, uh, Michael, um, who just, okay. he signed off on him. He said he's a, uh, Rob's a great dude, and he had released a lot of uh, movies, uh, you know, like along the, the Brian Krause uh, chasing, uh, uh, running from a dinosaur movie kind of <laughs> genre. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, somebody's got to make those. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so our movie's not like that, but it's just a. It's a movie about a cult, and it's kind of the interior workings of a cult. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, he happened to love it, and he's releasing that. Uh, uh, hopefully, I don't want to give a, a date exactly because I, I don't. He hasn't he hasn't uh, officially made the announcement, but it's coming out this summer apparently. Um, so that's that's exciting to to uh, have our first congratulations. Movie. Our second movie just got finished. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's yeah definitely. Uh, I tend to downplay things, but in the in the big picture, like. No, this is this is a pretty big deal to have your your movies out there, and you know, oh, it's it is a big news, deal. Definitely. It's it's so it's so hard to do anything. The fact that, that enough things can come together for you to even have a movie in production, I mean, so many things don't even make it that far. You know, it's 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 uh, you don't want to take it for granted because it is something really special. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it is it's true, uh, and. You know, things can cloud that sort of vision sometimes when you're just like you're too busy or you're too bitter or like something didn't go the right way. You're just like, oh, you're frustrated. But then, like, when you take a step back, you're just like, wait, I'm really fortunate to to be in this position and and let's try to make the best of it. And that's usually the road we take. So um, that's kind of, and then there's all all kinds of other things that are sort of bouncing around. But those are the two two main things and um, just. Trying to keep working, like you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, without a doubt, man. I, I mean, it was, uh, you know, great to talk to you again. I know it's been a little bit of time since, you know, me and you, you know, actually was on the phone discussing things. So, uh, and honestly, man, I'll throw it out there. Anytime you want to come on, just let me know, and, you know, we'll, we'll continue this. Well, I, I will take you up on it. Thank you. This is the um, – this is my official second, I think, second podcast. I did one with uh, – is it Doc Rotten over there in uh, – oh, yeah. uh, Yes, I think so. Uh-huh. Yep, I don't. Doc Rotten. Yeah, I don't know. Rotten. Georgia, Georgia I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did I did one for him a, a number of years back, and, and now this one. So I will I, – I, I love it. I love the format, and um, it's really nice talking with you guys. Yeah. Nice talking with you, and, too. Um, and uh, Mr. Lobo, anything you want to um, you know tell us about what's coming up? Uh, you know what should we what should we be looking for? Or? Sure, a lot of stuff happening. Um, you know, I, I'm working on a couple of movies. Um, there's one called The Plan Nine Conspiracy, which is uh, coming out, which is basically like that uh, um, The Shining, The Room uh, 237 movie, only yeah. with Ed Wood. Um, right. Okay. Only with Ed Wood. Uh, and then there's <laughs> a, another movie called Midnight Show which should be coming out um, maybe the end of this year or early next year, but it's kind of an anthology of B movies of, of, of satires of B movies. And um, then I'm also, I I filmed uh, Mars versus cheerleaders on on Sunday. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, Uh We're also working on another thing called uh, planet Frankenstein. Uh, just a lot of goofy stuff on OSI 74. We do, we have a new category called creature features forever. where We're celebrating all the different versions of, of creature features, you know, Bob Wilkins, Misty brew, um, count Gordeval, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you so much for having me on. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking again about all this stuff. Yeah, oh, man. No, really nice great, to meet you. Great the time. Sacramento connections. Awesome too. All right, guys. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye, but uh, it, it's been fun. It's been a really good time. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure, and I, I think you have a, a really good format for your show. I look forward to more of it. Thank yeah, you, likewise. Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs>